This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, good morning from California, Heidi. Well, it's almost noon. Hi, Mom. From New York City. It's 2.30 here. Well, we've got a, a great show today and talking about dealing with mental illness, which uh, I think is such an important aspect of the grief and loss world because we have so many friends that uh, are out in the grief and loss world who have lost loved ones uh, who have been mentally ill and lost them in different ways um, in automobile accidents or overdose accidents or some of them have been murdered or you know whatever many many different uh, ways and there's uh, you know tends to be some kind of a stigma around it they tell us our friends who have had the mentally ill and uh Sometimes there tends to be some family blame or whatever connected with it, and, and we want to deal with some of those really tough issues today with our guest. So, Heidi, uh, would you like to introduce our guest today? Sure, I'd love to. As you said, Mom, we are talking about how to deal with mental illness today, and our guest is Trisha Wolf. And Trisha Wolf's life seemed perfect. She was married to a successful attorney and a mother of three boys. However, in 2003, her life changed when her son Brad was killed. She is the author of the book, A Heart Torn, A Soul Mended, A Bereaved Parent's Search for Harmony, the story of how a mother's love endured through her son's bipolar illness and his eventual death. Welcome to the show, Tricia. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you on the show, Tricia, and I I was really touched by your book. I told Heidi today, your book has one of the most uh, intelligent and compelling discussions of how hard parents do try to help their mentally ill children, and you take us through your journey with uh, Brad, and then uh, through his death, and uh, I know Alan Peterson wrote the foreword, and Alan's a great friend of ours, and uh, he also, I think, believe was the person who brought you to us uh, to ha- to be on the show for Open to Hope today. So I wanted to ask you, could uh, I know Brad had mental illness through through years, and we'll talk a little bit about the challenges of that, but he eventually died by had a bipolar episode, and the police held him down, and he suffocated. Is that basically how he died? That That is correct. The uh, coroner's report indicated it was positional asphyxiation. So he was, yes, he was suffocated. And it would seem as though at some point in time the police would have noticed that he wasn't breathing. That's what I was thinking. But, if you're going to hold yeah. holding someone down and they're struggling, yes. eventually you're realizing this person isn't breathing anymore and you let go of them, I would think. Yes. Well, the police are not trained to d- deal with mentally ill or people with autism or any any persons who do not have typical behaviors or behaviors that they would like to see. It's too easy for them, I think, to label any kind of aberrant behavior as violent or uh, drug-related. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, deviant and needing to be punished. Uh, I have, we yes, have, yeah. indeed. Mm-hmm. Indeed. That's yeah. a good way to state it. And how old was Brad when he died? Brad was 29 when he died. Oh. So he was a very young adult, just getting his yeah, life was. back together, getting started back in, finished his degree, uh, had a fiancé. He he was ready to begin anew. Mm-hmm. 
you know, spite of his illness. some of the things that jumped out in your book to me is your struggle with him and how I know there are parents out there who understand what I'm going to say is how hard you worked with him, trying to help him through his adolescence, trying to help him for this time, and then realizing as he got a little older that he did have some mental illness. But you went through what he saw 11 psychiatrists or psychologists? Yes. Oh, yes, yes, psychiatrists. Psychiatrists. Yes, MD, yes, people with MD degrees. Yeah, and talk about the experience you had, some of them, where the psychiatrist, one of them, knew things about him that he'd been taking medication and that kind of thing and and you know gave you the you know that you're too involved kind of thing and that he had a confidentiality agreement talk about that a little bit well the the first uh psychologist psychiatrist that he saw yes he was uh, a junior in high school and there were some you know unusual behaviors and so that's why of course we took him but we were never allowed to talk with him. I call him, I think I call him Dr. Harold in the book, uh, because of the confidentiality. He would say, well, you know, uh, we have this confidentiality arrangement. And, and it was flabbergasting because he was underage. He wasn't 18. Uh, he, we were paying the bill. We were anxious to find out what the conclusions were. And eventually we were told that uh, he was just kind of, immature and it would work its way out and in the meantime as we recovered his records later he had indeed diagnosed him with depression or with bipolar he he was not willing to give us that information however that was devastating that that could have enabled my husband and I, his dad at the time, or it's still his dad, but my husband at the time, to have moved forward with cooperating with medication, with alerting the school, talking to to the counselors at school, but we were told to stay out of it, that he was the authority and we were to allow he and my son uh, to have this privileged relationship. Wow, what's your thought on that, Hyde? Well, I'm totally blown away. I see, I, you know, I'm a clinical psychologist and I see minors in my practice. And the reality is we can't totally have confidentiality with minors because the legal guardian is the person that needs the information. We have to talk to parents about themes and patterns that we see. And any, if we're concerned at all, the parents need to be brought in as part of treatment. So that really bothers me that you were kept in the dark for so long and weren't told things like you said that could have made it so that you were proactive rather than reactive. Yes. So so yes. one of the things that I want to get at here, because we have an audience out there that's saying, oh, wow, you know, this happened to me. It's not okay. It's not it, okay that it happened. Exactly. It's really, I, I know yeah. I'm not the Lone Ranger. Yeah. This, this happens You're not. to parents. Yep. Yeah. And the idea that um, you're codependent, they're codependent on you. You know, I was saying to Heidi today, if the parents, as you as parents didn't try to stand up for your child, I mean, that's parents' jobs, whether the professionals like it or not, uh, you well, know, well, saying and, and that. You're, you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't, because if you don't, then you're considered, you know, someone that's negligent and it's not, it's not involved with your child. I mean, we're parents, and so, of course, we have to be involved with our children and taking care of them. They depend on us. I mean, that's our role, advocating for them and being, to a certain extent, in their business. 
and keeping the word codependent in my in my view in my experience came came out of the substance abuse arena. So that's of course a subtopic of mental health, but the, the mm-hmm. codependency in my view has no place in the world of mental health and or, or excuse me in mental illness because when you have a child that has a disease. Certainly, codependency can exist in something like cerebral palsy in terms of if those parents become overly involved, overly protective, and they don't let their child outside. But I, I don't think it's necessarily a healthy term for health professionals to use because, as you said, Heidi, parents need to be supportive of their child. They need to be facilitators in their recovery. I think we need there are there are many words uh, that do a disservice in the world of grief recovery. And I think similarly in the world of mental health and mental illness, there are some words that could uh, be, be purged <laughs> from the system. And I think codependency is one of them. I think codependency applies when a parent has an adult child who is drinking all day and they bring home the food and the cigarettes. I mean, we're, but we're not talking about that scene, typically. You're, you're talking about people who do need support. Another word I don't particularly like is an enabler in this situation, both codependent exactly. and enabler. But um, talk a, a little bit about, is there a stigma when you, or did you feel it early on in talking about that your child was mentally ill when when he got in the event, you know, with the police? How do people behave when you talk about mental illness uh, in regards to a child that has died? You know what, Gloria, that has been the hugest stigma that I have ever had to deal with. Uh, Of course, when Brad was diagnosed with bipolar, when he had mental illness, that was one stigma. Although I was, because I am a health professional, I am a physical therapist by trade, so I became comfortable talking about those words sometimes to some people. But when he was killed by cops, that was another arena of stigma that I could not even bring my husband to this day to talk about. On a, on a one-to-one level, it's much easier for me to say, my son was, how, how did he die? If somebody asks, how did he die? I say he was killed and they would, would like to have the details. And I say, you know what? That's why I wrote my book. That mm-hmm. stigma is so huge for me that I would rather not talk about it. It happened and I wrote about it. Uh, and I can continue to talk about it on, in, if it will help people as I'm hoping it will on this radio station. Uh, there's also a, a uh, web place or, or an organization I've recently discovered called Innocence Down. And when it's in those venues, I'm comfortable. I guess there's comfort in numbers. So when I know I'm not alone, I can talk about it. But to just talk to somebody who's not experienced that, uh, it's... Thank you so much for talking about it on the show, because I know it's touching people out there who are having trouble talking about it, don't you think, Heidi? Absolutely, and, and, and you know, the thing is, the people that need the most support often get the least support, because there is certain topics that are kind of stigmatized and taboo, and so nobody gives any support. It's like, okay, now we're not going to say anything. We're, we're going to pretend that Trisha never even had a son that died. You know, so there's not 
there's not enough support or sometimes none, as some of our guests have said. It's true. There, there's very little support for a child. I mean, there are organizations such as Compassion Funds and, and mm-hmm. your program and your association, yes. But the bereaved parent must seek those out. They do not come to us. And when it comes to family and friends and even church communities, uh, it has, Heidi said, easier for the non-bereaved to walk away than, than to face another person's grief. Mm-hmm. Now, talk about being the the mother. You and I were talking about it before the show about, uh, and I have a concern about mothers being uh, blamed, or you know, why didn't you do more to help that child or and parents, mothers and fathers and family members? But, but you know, it is very hard to help the mentally ill. First, first of all, you know, the reality is that oftentimes they are not diagnosed. They it, it becomes clear when you finally figure out that they have some mental illness and you look back on their history. But while you're living through it, a lot of uh, kids don't really show it until they leave home because they've been, the home has been supporting them and then suddenly they can't cope anymore. So, um, you know, it's, it's a very tough thing. And I, I just don't think people uh, appreciate how difficult it is. And I do talk about that in my book because when Brad was an adolescent, I was told regularly by teachers, by counselors, by physicians, he'll grow out of it. He's normal adolescent. He's immature. I write about in my book how parents need to follow their guts. We need to follow our own instincts because we're not necessarily going to get that support in the community. So it, it, it's a very difficult, lonely road. I want to yeah. say that because I, through the book, constantly through the book, you're saying I thought this, I thought that, I could, I didn't agree with, you know, uh, you know, there were instinct times that you found that, but you know what? There is. I want to say to our whole audience out there, you are probably saying exactly that. Well, I thought this. Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? You, you know. And the reality is, there's a huge amount of pressure not to do that, and it's it's very, very difficult. And I I want to ask as we end the show, how, what are the, what could you advise people uh, if you could say one thing to them where they're trying to recover from the death of um, a child who has had mental illness? I think once again. I would say, follow your heart. Probably the most important search at this point in time is peace, balance, and harmony. Wherever your heart is leading you towards those, those feelings is where you need to go. It may be church. It may be a community. It may be online. Wherever your your heart, your gut, your instincts are telling you to go, where you will find that peace of mind, follow it. And I would suggest that you pick up Trisha's book. It's one of Best Books Award finalists for uh, U.S. Book News. It's a wonderful book, and uh, it really tells the journey um, of uh, a journey of, uh, I think, finding peace now. Would you say that, Trisha? Absolutely. I'm still looking. I'm still searching. In fact, the, my, the title of my book, as you know, is A Heart Torn, A Soul Mended. I think an amended soul is, is the path to follow. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on our show today. We really appreciate it. And uh, where can people get your book? 
on Amazon.com or on my webpage, www.amendedsoul.com. Thank you so much for being on the show, Tricia, and uh, good luck on your journey. Thank you. Thank you for having Thanks, me. Thanks, Tricia. You're welcome. Well, Heidi, what a, a great show today talking about the the struggles with mental illness. And I hope everyone that's out there who has had a child die who is mentally ill will get this book and, and will benefit from some of Trisha's wisdom. I agree with you, Mom. It's so important. And I'm so thankful how, about how candid she is because she, Brad is doing as much in his death as he did in his life because this book is going to save lives. It's, there's people out there that need this message and that, that, you know, need to pick up this book. He, this is going to save lives going forward. Absolutely. So I thank Tricia for having the guts to write about it. Absolutely. It's a, great, it's, a, it's a great book and a, and a good read. She's a very good writer. So thanks for listening to the show today, and please visit us at opendoop.com and Twitter and Tweet. Join us on our blog, and thank you for listening, and God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.